Amen. What a gift it is to be able to worship with all of you. When I say all of you, I mean all of you. You are here and we are grateful. What a gift um, and a blessing is to see so many of you, be able to worship with you, be able to see many new faces. Um, I am amazed every week um, as we gather and we just see uh, the Lord multiplying those who are gathering with us, but also just the expansion and the growth in our community and being able to reach out into our community. We're so thankful uh, for that. Um, I, uh, there's not really any good time to um, talk about, kind of give you a few updates about the life of our church, but when um, there is such a mass of people here gathering with us, I assume this is about as good of a time as any. I just want to give you a few updates before we jump into our text. We're going to be studying Acts uh, chapter 11 uh, this morning, but last weekend um, we had similar uh, crowd in, in terms of those who are gathered with us, not any empty seats. Many of you are in the overflow room, so thank you so much uh, for just being in the cafe, worshiping with us. I know a few of you, it's likely that periodically over the last few weeks, you found yourself coming to check in your baby and we've been out of space. Um, these are all parts of our growing pains and um, I ask that you would pray for our elders and trustees as we met last week and um, that's not the first time we've met and discussed this uh, opportunity and the challenge before us. It won't be the last time, but um, I just wanted to thank you for praying with us. I want to ask you that you would continue uh, to pray for us as we try to um, discern and ask the Lord to lead us as we make room and just deal with what God is doing here and celebrate that. It's a good thing. If you're a guest with us, um, thank you so much. If this is your first time here, you've never experienced any of this, the dusty parking lot, the crowded space, um, and uh, the Lord gave you a reprieve. We didn't have it hot today, right? So that's a good thing. But I mean, not relatively speaking. We're used to 105, so 100 feels balmy. But anyhow, um, you know, the only way that any of this is possible is through um, those who have committed their lives to building the church and building God's kingdom through City Church, giving and generously giving. And so I'm so thankful for many of you who've been a part of that. Yes, that's not an expectation that we put on you. Um, we don't pass the plate here at City Church, not because we don't believe in giving. It's not part of our life. Uh, but because we don't want you to be hindered uh, from hearing the gospel as we do that. But for those of us who call this church home, um, you have generously given and made space. And so that's where some of this expansion in our parking has coming or has come from. And um, we want to continue to sort of navigate those challenges. Um, parking is just one piece. There's also building space um, and all of those sorts of things. And then as I think about all of this, really, we're not just called to what we're doing here at City Church. What we are called and what we've set our hearts to as a church family is to building the kingdom of God. We are one local outpost of the kingdom of God, but there are many other local churches that are a part of our work. And so um, all that we do is a part of this kingdom work that we are a part of. And so um, we need everyone to give generously to the work of this church um, not just through so that we can care for ourselves, but so that we can build the kingdom and continue to support the ministries that we want to support, to be a part of church planning as we've talked about so oftenly. And so um, as we increase and grow in per people, we need to grow in our giving. And so I just wanted to just let you know that that's a conversation our elders and trustees are trying to figure out how can we navigate those challenges, um, not only to care for what and build and add on and do what we need to do to make room here, but so that we can be a part of planting more churches, supporting more ministries, and be just simply generous as a church family to all who might have need. So there'll be a lot more shared. I don't have a lot of details about what that means. I just share that with you to ask, would you continue to pray? 
And if you're a guest with us, let me just give you the exciting news. What you see in the form of a lot of bodies is, more importantly, it's the spirit of God at work here. We see God moving in this church. And so we're grateful that we get to be a part of it. We're grateful that we can welcome you. And we invite you to be a part of that work with us at some point in the future, if this is where the Lord calls you to make home. Um, the second piece I just mentioned with building the kingdom, and we, that's a, a big aspect of, again, kind of encompasses all that we are called to do, not just here locally, but related to church planting and other. And so I want to also update you a little bit about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I shared that we had sort of set a stake in the ground that our prayer and our hope was that we would be able to plant a church uh, by the fall of this year, by this fall, like right now, like here coming up pretty soon. <laughs> and so some of you are probably wondering, okay, what's the status of the Bridge Church? Where are we at with that? Uh, we've been praying over this last year and asking God to just help lead us, but we've also always said that we're just yielded to his timing um, and we want to be obedient to only what he has called us to do. And so as we prayed to the end of seeing a church being planted from this body um, this fall, that hasn't happened yet. And so we are continuing to pray and we're continuing to ask God to help us in that. There's been, um, I'll just say, there's been many challenges. There's many obstacles to uh, this. This isn't a, a question of faithfulness. This isn't a question of resources. This isn't a question of obedience. It's just many, many challenges have come uh, our way as we've strived to work this out. And so we're just continuing to process through that and navigate those things as faithfully as we can. One of those things that is most pressing to us um, and um, something that I want to specifically ask that we just all fervently pray for is that our brother Pat Knight, who's one of our elders here at this church, um, a few months ago uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And he is one of those who was called and leading out our work with the Bridge Church. And so um, we praise God that his prognosis is good. Um, he's here with us. Uh, he and his wife, Shelly, we love Pat. We're so thankful for them. Um, but uh, as we've just navigated that, and Pat specifically with he and his family have navigated that, um, his priority is to take care of his health and to be intentional with his time uh, along those lines. And so I just wanted to share that with you as a church body that we could all be praying for Pat and Shelly for his health. Specifically, he has an appointment this week that we have been praying that the appointment would go very well and that the surgeon that he's interviewing and meeting with would have room in his calendar very quickly um, to take care of him and to uh, uh, perform a surgery. And so um, I just want to ask that you would pray uh, that with us, pray for Pat, for Shelly, for wisdom, for direction, for their children. Um, and again, this appointment coming up this week. And so all that say, that is a little bit of an update of where we are at as a church family. Um, and I felt like there's really no other time than a Sunday morning to communicate that and share that with you. And so if it's okay, before I continue and we open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 11, um, can we just join our hearts and minds together as we pray uh, for Brother Pat and his wife Shelly, um, and then we will turn to our text this morning. Father in heaven, we thank God for your faithfulness to us. I look at this room, and it's just one small symbol or representation of your love and your faithfulness, um, not just to me, but to so many in this room, to this community. Um, we are thankful that you have chosen, and, and it's, it's you, Lord. You have chosen to just move in this place, to be a part of what of the work here in this community, and you've invited us into that, that we get to be a part of that. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm thankful for my dear friend, my brother, uh, Pat, his wife, Shelly, um, 
their children, Lord, I um, just want to ask for your blessing upon him. Lord, we pray as a church family now that you would give him favor, that you would go before him in the upcoming appointments that he has. Lord, we pray that the calendar of this surgeon and all the doctors that are necessary for his care, that we recognize they are tools in your hand alone. And so we ask that you would be with them and that you would make a way for him to receive the treatment that he needs, that that would happen quickly. Lord, we pray that he would not be anxious. Um, we pray for calm hearts. We pray that same for Shelly. All the fears and anxieties that I can only imagine come with this type of diagnosis, Lord, we just pray for him. And we do pray also as he leads us and cares for so many, Lord, that um, you would just give him even rest from some of that labor. Um, Lord, as we strive to be faithful to what you've called us to, to build your kingdom here, to plant churches, um, we ask that you would go ahead of us and make that clear. Would you make our role and what we are called to do very clear to us? We are trying to discern. So we thank you. We thank you for Pat. We thank you for his leadership. We thank you for the way that he just models your graciousness and your love to so many. Um, we pray all these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. And thank you, Pat, for allowing us to pray for you, brother. We love you. Um, Acts chapter 11. When we left off last week, um, you know that we covered quite a few verses. We picked up in the middle of Acts chapter 9. If you weren't with us, you can go catch up on that. I talked really fast through the middle of Acts chapter 9 all the way through Acts chapter 10. It was a lot of verses. We're going to cover shorter text this morning. And in a sense, this, the, the text that we're looking at, Luke records for us Peter's perspective of the events that occurred in the previous chapter. Just in summary, Peter is praying and he has been receiving a vision. He receives a vision from the Lord that he is to not call what is clean or been called clean by God unclean. He's to go and visit this man Cornelius. And at the same time, God visits and sends a vision to Cornelius, a Gentile, to say, you need to send for this man, Peter. He's going to come and he's going to share the gospel with you. And so the whole of chapter 10 are these two dreams, these two visions, excuse me, where Peter hears from God and Cornelius hears from God. And they're both, God is using both of these men to demonstrate his power, but also to show his reach. Remember this book, the book of Acts is about the transition of God's power and his work to build the church and the Holy Spirit to go out and build the church. And we've seen Jesus' promise where he said, and you will be my witnesses. That promise has been fulfilled in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And now Peter is a part of the fulfillment of that promise. Well, Peter goes to Cornelius in the middle of chapter 10. We saw that Peter preaches the gospel, shares the gospel with Cornelius and all of his family. And at the end of chapter 10, Cornelius repents, believes, he is baptized and he's welcomed in. A Gentile has now been reached with the gospel. This is something that demonstrates the amazing power of God. Well, as we come to chapter 11, again, as we see, this is Peter's perspective as he comes to Jerusalem. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 11. I'll pick up in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. 
If I just paused right there alone, if I only just stopped, I said, all we read was that text, we would think that this would be a moment of celebration. The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. This work of God had traveled from where Peter was riding all the way back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they're hearing that the gospel had spread. Again, we would think that that would be a means for celebrating. The Gentiles have heard and received the gospel. Friends, this is somewhat the equivalent of someone saying in our modern day, like, Eagles fans, they're really cool. <laughs> the only cool Eagles fans I know are our brothers and sisters here at this church, Jamie and Stephen Napoli. They're cool. I don't know if they're in the room, but I love you. But that's a radical statement. You know, or for some of you, and I'm not going to get in the middle of this, but some of you, you know, if your school wears the color orange and you were to say the Aggies, or if your school wears the color maroon and the, the Longhorns are, you know, these are people that were far off from God and despised by the Jewish people. They were thought as filthy to the Jewish people. You can't really get a picture of this. Take your school, take whatever it is that sort of helps you understand that these are people that were not liked by the Jews and they have received the word of God. They were almost hated, but they have now received the word of God. And it should be something that would cause people to be in awe. But notice what it says there in verse 2. So when Peter, when he comes up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's just a title or a phrase to describe the Jewish Christians, criticized him saying, you went to an uncircumcised man or two uncircumcised men and ate with them. You went and had a meal with the unclean. That's the accusation. These people had heard what God had done and their response was hatred was rebuke, was criticism of Peter. See, what caused this was they were missing God. They were missing the power of God. They were missing the ability to see God at work. This was mind-blowing work of God, friends. It's hard for me to capture for you an understanding of really how powerful this work was. But this was a powerful work of God. And let's remember, how did he do this? Again, he intervened in Peter's life and sent him a vision. He intervened in Cornelius' life and sent him a dream. He sees these things, and it's the power of God to save. We see how God did this. It was through his sovereign power. God moved in a powerful way, but the circumcision party, those in Jerusalem, missed God because they had a small view of God's power and his plan. Their vision was too narrow. They couldn't imagine when Jesus promised that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the, end, to the ends of the earth. We can only assume that they must have thought it would just have been the Jewish people that had been spread out all over the earth would be reached. They couldn't fathom that God would reach even the Gentiles. Well, Peter, thankfully, while these were missing God, Peter trusted God. Peter trusted God. As I say that, let's remember Peter as well. You know, you remember Peter's biography? Remember much about him? Peter is the one that Jesus looked at him before going to the cross and said, get behind me, Satan. You know, all of the old ladies, I think primarily y'all have that not today, Satan. That's Peter's quote, okay? 
That's, that's, that's what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, get behind me because Peter was saying, you're not going to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. The same temptation, by the way, that the enemy, that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with, said, you can have a kingdom without ever going to the cross. Now Peter says that same thing to Jesus in other words, saying, you don't need to be, you don't need to be crucified, Jesus. You're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. That's Peter, all right? Peter who denied Jesus then three times. I didn't ever know him. I didn't ever know him. I didn't ever know him. But then also Peter, who was restored, and three times Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Lord. And he was restored. He was shown the grace and the mercy of Christ, the tenderness of Christ. And then Jesus said to him, you're the rock. I'll build my church on you, Peter. And then in this last episode, Peter in this dream has to be told three times, don't call what I've called clean, unclean. This Peter, with all of these circumstances, showed great trust in God as he shared what God had done. See, he had the same questions and the same concerns that these who were heard back in Jerusalem that he had gone to eat with Gentiles. But he trusted God and his understanding of all that God was doing, his belief, his, his conviction, his, his reality had, was completely changed as Jesus spoke to him and says, don't call common or don't call unclean what I have called clean. Peter's about to, as I read further in this text, he's going to just share what God did. He's going to share the testimony of what God did. But I want to pause there because this is a great encouragement to me. See, Peter had had many failures, very clearly. Again, there's not too many other people in Scripture that Jesus calls Satan. He'd had mistakes, missteps. But in the moment, he didn't allow his past to keep him from being faithful. The failure of his past didn't keep Peter from pressing forward into what God had called him to. And we've got to learn to trust God more than we trust our own failures. Some of you are putting more confidence and more strength and you're more resolved based on your failures or whatever it might be in your past than you are on the faithfulness and the sovereignty and the holiness and the good graciousness of God. You're stopped in your tracks. But I want you to remember this. If you didn't have failures... If you were perfect, if you'd done everything exactly the way you think you should have done it, which still would have, by the way, probably been a failure, but anyway, if you could rewrite history and you could do it perfectly, why would Jesus have had to go to the cross? Jesus went to the cross for imperfect people who would fail over and over and over again. So as Paul would say, as we're going to read later on, that in his weakness he is made strong, that Jesus would receive the glory that he deserves. And so when we put more trust and more confidence in our failures and in our past, we're forgetting the work of the cross. And when we allow that to stop us from being faithful, from trusting God, we're missing so many opportunities. So I want to encourage us. I'm encouraged as I've studied this week I've got to trust God more. I've got to trust his faithfulness more than I trust whatever might be in my past. 
And how did Peter demonstrate this? Well, as we'll see here in this text, he says to this confrontation, look at verse four, but Peter began and explained to them in order. Essentially what Peter's saying there, what Luke is saying for us, Peter explained to them with great detail. He didn't miss a beat. He told them exactly what God had done. But Peter began and explained to them in order and he begins to tell them what God has done. And the whole rest of this next few verses is Peter recounting the story of God visiting him in Joppa, sending him to meet Cornelius and all that God did. He simply just recounts the story of God's faithfulness and the story of what God did. Notice that Peter doesn't get defensive about this. He doesn't rear up to them. And again, would he have been wrong in that? If Peter, when confronted by this circumcision party and they are saying, I can't believe that you would go and eat and, and spend time with Gentiles, he could have gotten defensive about that. He could have yelled at them. He could have said, let me tell you who I am. Jesus told me that I'm the rock. He's going to build the church on me. He could have gotten really, he could have bowed up. We wouldn't have really thought too much wrong about that, right? Would have seemed a little bit similar to sometimes how we might respond. By the way, he also wouldn't have been wrong in what he was saying. Hey guys, did, Pete, did Jesus tell any of you that you were the rock? Don't think so. That's what he told me. It wouldn't have been a lie. But rather than getting defensive and rather than pointing to himself and letting himself become the center of the story and the focus of the story and all that he had done and all that he had said, what becomes the center of the story, the focus of the story is how God had moved. He says, can I just tell you in great detail exactly what God did? This is a great reminder to us in the face of criticism and opposition, all that Peter had to do and all that Peter could do and really all that we need to be reminded of to do is simply tell the story of what God has done. When opposition comes our way, when challenges come, I know that we're concerned about that in the culture and in the world, it seems like it might be pressing in more and more and more upon us. We're not to persecution yet, friends. Let's not claim that until someone is really persecuted because then it just doesn't seem to measure up. But when that does come against us and we begin to face those oppositions and those types of things, the response is, can I just tell you what God has done? I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to defend who I am. I'm just gonna simply testify to you to what God has done. This is what Peter did. Defensiveness comes from looking too much at ourselves. We want to defend ourselves. We want to look right. And once again, we need to stop looking at ourselves. We need to start trusting in God and start testifying to how God has moved. Look at what he says of Peter in verse 12. This is what Peter did with Cornelius. And the Spirit told me, this is Peter testifying to them and the spirit told me to go with them making no distinction Peter told them all that God had done and he told them that he was yielded to the Holy Spirit he trusted God and the way that he demonstrated that trust is even in the story of what he did he trusted the Holy Spirit when he said go visit Cornelius again we have to put ourselves in sort of the right mindset to recognize this was a challenging ask for God towards Peter this wasn't something that was just easy for him to do. Hey, you just need to go down and visit this guy named Cornelius. Immediately, when he heard the name Cornelius, that would have signified to Peter, you're sending me to a Gentile's house. 
But don't forget how God had prepared him. God had had him staying at the Tanner's house. He had been in these Gentile cities. God was moving and warming him up for this calling on his life. But when the time came, the Holy Spirit said, go. And Peter trusted the Holy Spirit. He trusted the Holy Spirit to go with him. Sometimes the Spirit says go, just like he did here. And sometimes the Spirit says don't go. We're going to get here in a few weeks, maybe months, I'm not sure. But in Acts chapter 16, whenever we do get there, some of you all get that. Yes, sometimes they accuse me of going very slowly through books of the Bible. So that's where that comes from. But when we do get to Acts chapter 16, Paul's going to say, and they went through the region, or it's going to be told of Paul's ministry, excuse me. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. The Holy Spirit said, you're not going to Asia, Paul. That's what he's going to tell him. He's got something else for him to do. Here in our text, in Acts chapter 11, and recounting from Acts chapter 10, Peter was told, go visit Cornelius. And he went. This is what we're doing, by the way, in the church planting efforts that we're having. As we're trying to make decisions about how to navigate our circumstances here, sort of our property and all these sorts of things, we are trusting wholly in the Holy Spirit. That's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, in the holy, H-O-L-Y, spirit, all right? We have to. It's all we can do. We're not trusting in our own thoughts or ideas. That's why I'm asking you to pray with us that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and discernment. We're not trusting in our past failures. There's things that, as I look back, this church has been around for almost 10 years, and there's things I look back on, I'm like, messed that one up, could have done that differently, could have had that conversation, shouldn't have said that, over and over. I could look back, and all of us are the same. We have various things that we can look back in our history. No, we're trusting in the Holy Spirit to lead us. We're trusting in God's Spirit to give us wisdom to follow Peter, it says there in verse 12, trusted the spirit. That's his testimony. I can't tell you why God decided to save the Gentiles. This is Peter. I can't, that's not my job. My job is to simply be obedient to what the spirit tells me to do. And he said, go. So I went. So often we throw up all this sort of mind. It's like some of you are familiar with our military um, capacity there's a weapon system that as the plane is being sort of tracked, and there's others that are a lot smarter than I am. They could get up here and give you a whole presentation on this. But as the plane is being tracked and there's maybe, uh, you know, it's being targeted, it can let out munitions that will distract the missile from coming and hitting it. So often when we're being told by the Holy Spirit what to do and we sort of see that, hear that word from God, you know what we start doing? We're like, Let me, can I throw up all these other things, God? Are you sure about that? We're just like Moses. Do you know that I can't speak? You know that I have this in my past. We start throwing up all these things trying to distract God. Let me just tell you, God can't be distracted. He's bigger than that. We need to trust in the Holy Spirit just as Peter trusted in the Holy Spirit. You know what else Peter trusted in? Look at verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord. See, Peter was in awe of what God had done with the Gentiles. He was amazed that he would reach the Gentiles that he would save the Gentiles. He trusted the spirit. He went to Cornelius' house. He preached the gospel. And as he did that, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And what does Peter say? Then I remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered what Jesus had promised him. He remembered exactly what Jesus had said. 
He remembered that Jesus had promised. Yeah, I've come, I've baptized you, or John baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, it's like Peter finally understood all that God was doing, the power of God. We've got to trust the word of God. We've got to know the word of God in order to trust the word of God. How do we test the spirit? Well, the answer is that we know the word of God. How do we know in the spirit, maybe it seems unclear. We rely on the word of God. You're thinking to yourself right now, I know what you're thinking, you're saying, but where in the Bible, pastor, does it talk about parking lots on a vineyard? It doesn't. But it talks about hospitality and welcoming others as we've been welcomed by Christ. It talks about reaching those who are far from Christ, and we know that that's the mission of the church, that that's all we're here to do, is to share the gospel and make disciples. It talks about giving to the works of the kingdom and being generous with all that you have. And so when I mention all these things that we're wrestling with, we're trusting the Holy Spirit, but we're also trusting in the word of God, which is already said to us and affirms this direction and some of the things that we're trying to do as a church. As you think about it in your own life, There's things that the spirit will prompt you towards. Go talk to that neighbor, have that conversation with that friend, pray with that person, reach out, do all these things the spirit's prompting. And you're saying, well, none of that's explicitly spelled out in scripture. No, but every idea, all of those ideas of loving others, caring for others, sacrificing your own life for the sake of others, considering your life of no value as I read in that video from Acts chapter 20, all of these things are found in scripture and direct us. And so we trust the word of God. You know, pride is a two-sided coin that keeps us from faithfully following God. One side of that coin is we can't stop looking at our failures, as I said. The other side of that coin is we can't stop looking at our future and the things that we've set out to do. Both of those things are inward focus. We've got to stop looking at ourselves and listen to the Spirit and the Word of God and trust. This is exactly what Peter did. And when Cornelius and all those were reached... Notice what it says about how God moved in their life in the last verse of our text. It says in verse 17 and 18, if then God gave the same gift to them, he's talking about the Holy Spirit that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I to stand in God's way? Peter says, I'm not gonna stand in God's way. And then he says, when they heard these things, this is his testimony. Luke says, they glorified God and they said, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Repentance that leads to life. This is a story about the Jewish Christians hearing about the work of God and how they came to understand the power and the magnitude of God. And what they describe is they say, we understand what God has done. They say, we understand that he has granted to them repentance that leads to life. That's the testimony of what God has done. You know what, friends? Sometimes we don't think of it in this way, but that's the testimony of everyone who calls on the name of Jesus today. God has granted to me and to many of you in this room that we would repent of our sins and be raised up in life, raised up like Jesus in life. Repentance. Do you notice what it doesn't say? Now it was granted to them that they went to church and that led to life. Now it was granted to them that they gave a good sum of money 
and that led to life. Now it was granted to them that they said a prayer and that led to life. That's not what the word of God says. The word of God says it was granted to them that they would repent, that they would confess their need for a savior. They would turn away from looking at themselves and they would turn to Jesus. We're gonna receive from the Lord's Supper here this morning. For some of you, you've done every religious activity that there is, but repent, turn to Christ and confess your need for a savior. Can I just tell you that following Jesus is not about your activities. Yes, there are things that we're called to do, but becoming a follower of Jesus begins with repentance. See, the heart of our problem is that we want to do something. I feel like we need to do some activity. You know, Cornelius feared God, it said. It even said that he was generous. This is before Peter came to visit him. He did a lot of right things, but he was not saved. He was not, he didn't have life. He didn't have the gift of eternal life. What led to him was that he confessed his sins and his need for a savior. He repented. And all that meant was that he came to acknowledge that without Jesus, his life was nothing. If I don't have Jesus, all these good things that I've done, being a God-fearer, all those things is not enough. I need to understand who Jesus is. And he repented and he found life. I wanna invite you as we're receiving from the Lord's table, if you are not sure about who Jesus is, would you study this word, look at this word. God's call in your life is to repent and believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is the savior of the world. So as we come to the table, I just want to invite you to just, you can just stay in your seats and just have that conversation with Jesus and confess, not of activities. Sometimes we think about repentance and confessing like, I did this yesterday and I did this. No, no, no. It's more than that. It's my heart is sinful. Like I don't like your ways, God. I don't want to do things your way too. I want to do things my own way. That's the reality of our hearts. So we turn from that. We repent and we say, no, no, no. I want to follow you, Jesus, with my whole life. Others of us. We have repented of our sins. We have been welcomed into eternal life through what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what we're gonna remember here this morning. But too often we've gotten caught up in ourselves. Like those Christians in Jerusalem who were too caught up in how could God do this, their religious activities. And so we also need to repent. And so before we come to the table, let's just spend some time confessing to Jesus. Repent. This is, by the way, why we receive communion. This is why we celebrate the Lord's table, so we can be reminded of what Christ has done on our behalf. We can be reminded of his love for us. We can be reminded of what he did on the cross for you and for me. Just some brief instructions for you. Um, we have a crowded space, and so our elders on this side, Kent is going to lead you. On this side, Pat is going to lead you. He's going to dismiss you guys from the wings initially. All right, here, he's, they're going to serve you, excuse me, but they're going to dismiss you from the side and everybody in the back come up this sideway. And then the center two sections, you guys will go next. Everybody's going to go out and come through the middle. Does that make sense? All right, if that was confusing to you, just follow somebody in front of you. They'll probably help you along, all right? Um, it's just the best way that we've discerned in this large space to get a large amount of people served. And so um, I'm going to pray. And then let us stand as the worship team leads us. 
Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer before Christ and then come and receive from the table. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have accomplished on the cross on our behalf. I pray that every soul in this room would know the hope of following you, Jesus. As we come to your table, we remember your sacrifice for us. For those of you, those in the room who do not know you, Jesus, now would you grant to them repentance that leads to life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.